I feel like it's mostly focused on getting the next wedding. That's what I don't love about it, that it seems like a lot of people are shooting a wedding to do a blog post, to get it on a blog, to get the next wedding. And our contention's always been that if you aim high and make pictures that are powerful and truthful and meaningful, then the clients will find you. And one of the things we talk about in our workshop is that you don't need to please everybody. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Howard and welcome to the Musea Podcast. I'm John Dolan. I photograph people in all sorts of circumstances, either weddings or magazine work or advertising or anything I can do. My name is Holger Tuss. I also photograph people. A little different than John, but with the same idea of trying to capture honest, beautiful moments. My career has been going for 30 years and it's been a diverse career. I started off as a black and white printer for Sylvia Plahi, who's a village voice and New Yorker photographer. And then I went off on my own at around age 30. And I've shot weddings since before weddings were cool. I was part of a small group in the late 80s, early 90s to uh, take weddings seriously. And from that, I also shot editorial and some ad work and some fashion. And I've tried to keep a balanced diet of a lot of different things to keep it all fresh. I came to New York in the end of 88 to do an internship at Aperture and ended up going to ICP and working for Magnum and kind of learning from all the people that really inspired me. And their work was very meaningful to me. And from there on, I also worked as a printer for a while and then started my own photography and sharing a studio with John and Philippe Chang. And weddings brought us together because we kind of, at that point, filled a void in the market where people really wanted a very different approach to weddings, not the kind of traditional wedding photography, but a much more personal, I guess some people call it documentary approach. I would just call it personal, honest approach to images. And we actually ended up shooting a lot of weddings because a lot of people wanted us to and, you know, did also a lot of editorial and commercial corporate work, but always kind of, you know, was looking for my, this personal image quest. I mean, that's why I take pictures. And I think Robert Frank said this, it's like you, you take pictures of the outside because you want to look into your inside. And ultimately that's, you know, what it's all about. Michael, I think the other thing that ties us together, tied us together at the beginning was that we were photographers who were fascinated by weddings. We weren't wedding photographers. We were never trained as wedding photographers. So weddings just happened to be a fascinating subject for us. So we ended up sharing office for 15 years. Now we're each in our own place, but we had a long run of collaboration and cross-pollination and brainstorming. And so that those are our roots. Yeah. And John and I have been teaching a class together for 11 years now at ICP of how not to be a wedding photographer. So that has been kind of a really interesting experience for us. Our mission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to just kind of get into that, you know, why you guys started that workshop and maybe some of the, how maybe if it's evolved over 11 years, if there's any been roller coaster moments with it, I know teaching can be, especially as culture progresses, you're probably dealing with different students with different struggles every year, I would think. 
we definitely have learned over the 11 years and it has evolved. The class actually started because ICP approached us to teach a class for their professional development. You know, they have this whole program geared towards professional photographers. And then, you know, it's like, do you guys want to do a class about how you approach weddings? And then the challenge was like, well, how do we approach weddings and how can we do a workshop about it? And it kind of forced us to actually think about this and not just do it, but also kind of try to, you know, understand where we're coming from and how you can, you know, help people realize their own vision in terms of photographing weddings. It is the great thing about teaching is that it makes you define things in very clear ways. And we had done a lot of it by the skin of our teeth and just by intuition. So we hadn't laid it out in, in really specific ways. So we were just going wedding to wedding and assignment to assignment and not spending a lot of time examining how we came to that point. So over these past 11 years, it's been really interesting defining it and refining it and refining it. And now we kind of look to our workshop as I look at it as a way to just turn people inside out for a week and not give them the answer to how to make a million bucks, but to give them the question of why they're doing it and how they're doing it and how to sustain it for a long time. Because I've seen a lot of people get really good really quickly and then crash and burn after a few years. And, and the workshop was never about really the business part, the money part. It was always about photographs, vision, and, you know, creating images that you can stand behind. And, you know, and it was always the personal angle that everybody can bring something to this that is unique. We don't have to conform and all take the same pictures. We have very unique abilities that will bring important things to the images. And you have a duty to do that, you know, to create these images that are special. But as you know, Michael, the wedding industry kind of squeezes people towards the middle and towards the sameness. And it's a little bit of a struggle to break people out of that. And, and one of the things we've been talking about recently is this idea that a lot of photographers seem to me to be handcuffed by what they think clients want or what they think wedding magazines want or what wedding blogs want. So the handcuffs may be imaginary, but it's shocking to me how few photographers throw off the handcuffs and just shoot freely and shoot into their own gut. And I think there's great opportunity out there for people to just unlock their passion and potential and uh, let it loose. And I think there was always the main goal for us. The main focus was always the image, right? That it was a great image. You know, this is not how we came to it in terms of how can we make a living? How can we marketing this? How can we make money with this? That wasn't why we started doing this. We started because it was a real quest to take great pictures at weddings. Weddings are great opportunities to take great pictures. And also pictures that hadn't been seen before. That was kind of the fun thing about sharing an office with two other guys, because it was kind of friendly competition saying, what'd you get out this weekend? You know, show me something I haven't seen before. And we'd go through each other's images going, no, 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 yes. And those discovery pictures, they continue to be really fascinating to see and inspiring. And the other thing we've lately discovered is when we really dissect those pictures, the common theme is that they're not perfect pictures. They have some element of the imperfect that makes it beautiful, makes it honest, and makes it believable. And 
we kind of saw that there's a trend out there to make these incredible, awesome, perfect photographs that ring a little uh, false to our eyes. So we're really focusing on this idea of the imperfect. Actually, I for the longest time, I didn't realize what was going on out there because I didn't necessarily look at a lot of other wedding images. I never wanted to be part of the industry. You know, there was never that kind of thinking, oh, let's see what's going on. And then I will adjust to that in a way that I can shoot more weddings or charge more money. That wasn't really in my head. And at some point, I guess, you know, it really started when all these blogs really kind of took over the editorial world. I think when blogs became more important than magazines and magazines kind of lost some of the impact that, you know, when we looked around, it all seemed very geared towards one perspective. You know, if you wanted to be featured in a blog, then you had to kind of follow that, that path. And my pictures personally never really fit in there. You know, it was never something I pursued. We never shoot the shoes, you know, and why the shoes? <laughs> why the rings? Will a bride really want to see that picture in 20 years? <laughs> I, mean, I actually questions. had it once when I had a meeting with, with a couple, the groom-to-be, you know, said, I, I don't want pictures of stuff. I want pictures of family, friends, of people, of, of emotions, what's going on. I don't want my salt shakers. And, and I was like, I was, yeah, I'm right with you. And the bride-to-be looked at us and was kind of like, I do want the pictures of all this stuff. <laughs> and I get the wedding, you know, but it was, it was very, you know, it's just, that was it. Yeah, I mean, weddings now are... Well, they've been for a long time. I mean, the last 15 years at, at least, but I mean, longer than that, I guess, but it got ramped up, I guess, the last 15 years because the internet, it's mostly focused on, yeah, the stuff, the style, the clothes, everything but the relationships, it seems like. I feel like it's mostly focused on getting the next wedding. That's what I don't love about it, that it seems like a lot of people are shooting a wedding to do a blog post, to get it on a blog, to get the next wedding. And our contention's always been that if you aim high and make pictures that are powerful and truthful and meaningful, then the clients will find you. And one of the things we talk about in our workshop is that you don't need to please everybody. You don't need to be a, uh, a restaurant that appeals to you know every demographic. You need to do your pictures and the good people will find you if you really have a clear way of presenting yourself and a clear attitude, I really believe that's true. You have to decide how many weddings a year you really want and how many you can mentally handle and physically handle and go for it. But I think a lot of people try to aim for the masses and water down their style to please the masses. It's a hard way to sustain. How much do you think the feedback loop of Instagram and social media is confirming a lot of that for them because they go to these beautiful locations and shoot portraits they get tons of likes but then if they show some intimate detail or i mean intimate moment of a black and white of a bride and groom or something they typically maybe don't get as many because it's not sugar candy i guess in terms of you know scrolling through but if you're going for 15 or 20 clients a year you don't need a thousand likes you need i still contend that i get most of my weddings from word of mouth and I'm not big on Instagram, but I think that it's relationships and it's, I'm not sure I would choose a photographer on Instagram and I'm not sure that I would choose a photographer by the number of followers they have. 
I would choose a photographer because I want them to be witnessing my wedding and be around me for eight hours. I have a big problem with people who want to book me without meeting me in person. I, I think it's very, it's such an intimate relationship. I do everything I can to meet people in person, see if it's a good match. And also to go back to your question, I think that if you steer your ship by social media in terms of how, uh, how social media is reacting to my work, likes and all of this, you're making a very deliberate decision to let those people influence what kind of pictures you're taking. And that's, if, if you want to do this and you make that decision, you're fine with it, then do this. But if your goal is to take pictures that make your own heart jump, that make you feel like this is my picture, this is why I'm doing this, this is why I want to do this over and over again, then you have to go by your guts much more than by other people. Because ultimately, you have to educate them. You have to actually, through your actions, through your images, get them hooked on you. And not by taking pictures that you think a lot of people will like. You know, your own personal heart has to jump first, and then other people will, you know. But if you are taking pictures that if you look at them, you're like, okay, they're pretty, you know, they got a lot of likes, but do they make my heart jump? Do they, are they my pictures? Or could they be somebody else's? It's almost like the, the way Hollywood will focus group movies to death or, you know, imagine a movie that some art movie that you love, I particularly like Manchester by the sea. And if, if they'd focus group that and said, well, let's make this a happier ending. Or I just think that in a lot of ways, Instagram is just looking for the happy ending. And we've all had the experience where you put a picture up that was taken either frivolously or by a kid or something. And it gets the most likes that day. And it's, there's no relation between quality and likability. And so I think that you have to actually deal with social media in that way. Like, don't look at the likes, put stuff out there that is important to you and see where it falls. Because otherwise, it's like, why? You know, why spend all the time at analyzing this and putting images out there that are not 100% you? I think looking at, I guess, the photographers I know and how they're running their just business or photography or however you want to frame it, I know when we've done the gathering in the past, both of you have talked about kind of having a, a posse, a small inner circle of people you can bounce your work off of, which you guys had. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, you know, their social media is their posse. And so they're getting feedback from people that I would say don't have a critical eye for meaningful photography in a lot of ways. It's just that's where they're getting their feedback loop from. And, you know, and the power of social media with how it just they've done studies on how addictive it is and it literally affects your brain and gives you dopamine and things absolutely but you could use that in a way where you're like if you put pictures out there that are meaningful to you and they're not getting many likes you onto something you are doing something that's different and but it's hard it's hard to digest that you're good at that right, you know, no, but then you put yeah. up weird pictures and nobody likes it, but you like it because, <laughs> yeah, if you're addicted to the likes then uh, i do think it's also important to always remember that a certain percentage of people are looking at Instagram in line at a coffee shop and giving it about a quarter of a second to like it or not. But it is useful. I mean, there's definitely a whole generation who's getting sophisticated at composition and color and light. And 
I mean, there's plenty of good stuff about it, but the real question you're asking is how to find that core of people who, who will take it seriously and, and you trust their uh, responses. I think that's a really interesting niche question. Probably there's an app to be made there instead of, you know. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of positive things about social media. I mean, this is from somebody coming from somebody who, <laughs> who doesn't really use social media and just started probably less than a month ago to, to really focus on Instagram again. And, and my main reason for doing this is to, like, if I believe in what I do, I have to put it out there, right? And not putting out there to necessarily get positive feedback. I'm putting it out there because it's mine and I'm not ashamed of it. So it's more kind of a personal exercise in going out there. And it's a good discipline. And yeah. And, and I, I do like that there's a communal aspect to it. Yeah, you can't just go out there and hope everybody will like it. Hey everyone, we're just going to take a quick break from the show. Uh, we will be back in just a second, but I want to mention a couple of things. First, we have a Patreon page for the podcast at patreon.com slash musea. And that is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash musea. So what Patreon is, is a service that allows people to support their favorite creators. And your support through Patreon helps us invest in quality production for the show. And it moves us toward our goal of creating in-depth episodes that require a team of people. There are multiple support tiers to choose from. And if you are in the $5 per month tier, you will get access to 15 to 20 minutes of additional audio from each episode. If you're already supporting us via Patreon, we just want to say thank you so much for your support. It helps so much more than you know. Second, uh, Musea isn't just a podcast. We are also a lab. Our focus is on producing museum quality prints for professional photographers. We live in a very temporary world, but we believe in the honoring of meaningful work through archival prints. That's why we use museum grade materials and focus on producing prints that will last over 100 years. If you need help with archival printing, matting, or framing, visit our site at museablab.com. And let's get back to the show. Talking about this idea of creating meaningful photographs or finding the meaningful photographs, I guess for both of you, what are some of the common elements you see and those images could be just within your own work or just images you see in general, like, okay, that's that's a keeper. That's not, you know, I don't know if you can articulate that. A quick disclaimer that I think everybody has very different standards and it's a subjective thing. If I think something's beautiful, doesn't mean somebody else has to. And I think that we, we want the niche. We want a small circle that thinks this is meaningful. We don't necessarily expect everybody will see this in it. I'd say something I, I realized last year, and it's, it's been evolving for a while, is I want pictures to be believable. So that, that's why we got to this idea of imperfect, because I don't believe that your wedding day should be the most perfect day. In my experience of 300 weddings, it's not the most perfect day for a lot of people. It should be memorable and meaningful. And so as photographers, our pictures should be meaningful and memorable. And they should have that honesty and grit and tenderness and they should have, you know, the salt and the sweet. And I think what we're responding against is the sweetness that's a little, it feels a little saccharine. I think it's also people come and, and they think their wedding that should be the most beautiful, most perfect day in their life. And there is this kind of 
expectation and pressure and nothing in life is perfect but yeah. perfect is a weird human concept that does not exist right perfect means flawless but there's a flaw in, in everything and it's okay because a flaw doesn't have to be negative you know there's that great saying that the moroccan carpet weavers do they they leave one flaw on the carpet because they say only God is perfect. And I think there's certain artists who do that as well. They leave a little bit of a something in the corner. It's just it's audacious to think that you're going to make this. And also, I think it, for us, if it's not imperfect, it's not life. Then it's something that is not, it doesn't seem real. And I think for both John and me, realness, honesty is, is very important. And so pictures work better when they don't have kind of an easy perfection to it. And I know that certainly one of the things we've heard from our students is that they get pressured from clients to do certain things. But I still contend that I was speaking with a client last night who completely reinforced that they want the honest take on their wedding. And and I think that that's out there in the zeitgeist now, that people are looking for something straight. It can be beautiful. It can be a gorgeous photograph. but don't shy away from the truth and the complexity. It's, you know, we don't have to reduce everything to just this, the simplest moment. I think as a creative, you cannot let decide what you think other people want to see, right? Even though in this case, John is making a point that people actually want to see honesty and they want to see different pictures. And that, that's a, obviously a good thing. However, that cannot drive you, right? This is not why I'm taking my pictures. That's just, in some ways, a coincidence. And that coincidence allows me to make a living with this. But I, I think it's totally okay if the business part of it is what drives you, and that's what's going to drive your images. But again, it's a choice. It's a choice you make, and it, but it's not a choice you have to make. But if you make that choice, then you have to go all the way. And if you get bored and frustrated with your images, then you have to ask yourself the question, Am I maybe following the wrong track? If you're excited and happy and you want to take many, many more of those images, then you're on the right track. I'm thinking of like, you know, somebody, something about all the 23-year-olds that pick up a camera now and they start shooting and they start learning and their learning comes through, again, a lot of online resources and people who's popular. And that really influences like, okay, that is good because that person seems really popular apparently and they're in all the magazines. So that's the standard and I need to go do that. And so they set off on a path going down that road, uh, which is obviously like highly stylized, very beautiful, those extremely perfect shots that are flawless. So I'm trying to think of how do we, reason I love you guys is because you one of the few resources, your workshop is one of the few resources out there that, that's kind of counter to that. It gives them to think on another, another way. We definitely get those people and it's really interesting to watch them transform throughout the week or face their demons because the basic line is that photography is really easy to get good at so in six months you can get to the first plateau of technical quality and then the air gets a little thinner and you go up higher and you're trying to make your own style but the easiness of photography i think is sort of a trap and it's it gets people to a certain level really fast and they haven't worked through a lot of stuff that you used to have to work through with film. And so they've gotten good at photography without breaking a sweat. And then they feel uh, 
they feel a little empty and it's come to them too easy. This feedback I've gotten from photographers is that they've gotten up to the high levels without really building muscles and they don't really know what they're doing. So they don't really know why they're doing it. So they follow paths that they have already seen. So it's an interesting place to meet people and to sort of say what to challenge them. What do you want to do with this skill that you have that is underutilized? And so it's almost retroactively re-engineering them. In some ways, it's just also just the normal process, right? You hit a level and then you ask yourself, what's next? Once you kind of, in quotation marks, figured it out. And then I think we all hit walls sometimes and we wonder how to get around it or over it or under it. But I, I think that's, that's just process. And then it really depends how much fuel you have to keep on going. I think it is unique to photography, though. I can't think of any other art form where you can learn so quickly. You know, you can't become a sculptor that fast. You can't learn to draw that fast. But photography has gotten really easy. So there's kind of pain to that. There's an unbearable lightness of photography, I think. And it's useful to look at careers that you admire. That's why we have this little game we play where we pick people you admire and analyze their long careers. And, you know, you look at an actor who chooses the good movies or a writer who has written great novels for a long period of time and analyze that. It is a process, like Holger says. But also, yes, photography is very easy to kind of reach a certain level. And I think the issue with photography is that it's always changing. Right? Things are never the same for more than 10 or 20 years in terms of what the outlets are, your clients are, you know, how, you, how you support yourself. It's always changing. You know? So when I started working in the late 80s as an assistant, people then were complaining how much photography had changed, advertising studios that were going really well, and then they went down the drain. And you know, people were complaining about magazines are not doing these big, long assignments anymore. Like it's always changing. So it, you have to it's, adapt. it's kind of scary because you constantly have to adapt. And even if you figured something out, that's not going to last for more than a couple of years. And, and things might be dramatically different. That's a huge challenge to deal with. And I think for some people, um, you know, the kind of save images give them a feeling of, I can rely on this. If I take those images, I'll have people that will hire me, will do this. And, and I, I think that in the long run, doesn't always work. So with your workshop, is it sold out this year? I think there's one more one seat left. left. No, but it's actually this year, it filled up really, really quickly. Like usually things don't, you know, people don't really book it until a little bit later. But within the first week, it was in the catalog at ICT, like 75% book. So I'm just going to give people a bit of logistics on the workshop. So it's every year, it's in August, correct? It's usually the first week of August at ICT in New York City and it's 6 to 10 p.m. each night for a week so five nights and it's shocking how fast each evening goes we always at the beginning thought four hours of talk about weddings how can we do it but it's pretty wild ride and And then you do critiques and things as well we do yeah Yeah. we do one-on-one there's a whole structure to it how it goes and yes so looking at work and then also there actually will be some creating work re-editing and looking at it again is a very important part of it. It actually, even though it's a theoretical class, it's not like a studio class where we do a lot of shooting, we do some, and it's about 
progress within that one week too. So there's a lot of little homework and activities we do. I always say that the best compliment I ever got was one summer night, one of the students came in and said, oh my gosh, I spent an hour with my therapist talking about this class because you guys have messed me up so bad. So that was the best endorsement I ever got. Like, okay, stirring things up. But I think the main idea is really to get everybody going, right? And really try to kind of make it very personal for everybody in class and not just kind of like sit there and listen and go through presentations. It, I'm going to say we're trying to make it very interactive and that everybody can say after the class, this is what I took away from it. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely point people there. For anybody that's listening, they don't know ICP is the International Center of Photography in New York. So everything, I mean, you just go to their website and book through there. I'm assuming which is how you do it. Correct. Fantastic. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Musea podcast with John Dolan and Holger Thoss. We also have some additional audio from them on our Patreon page. If you are a supporter there at the $5 per month tier or higher, you can head on over there and listen to that. And that additional audio, they both talk about one photo of theirs and they kind of tell the story behind it and why they wanted to talk about it. And then they also both give career advice to somebody that's young in theory and wanting to have a career in photography. So it's about a 15 minute audio clip there and I think you'll get a lot of knowledge and wisdom out of it. So if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can just go over to patreon.com slash musea and sign up for the $5 per month tier or higher. There's also some other really cool rewards over there. And every dollar that you throw towards us to support the podcast really helps us spend money on production, licensing music. It's going to help us release more podcasts more frequently and just get more guests on. So just thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you.